Hey, if you're loving the show, make sure you become a patron. For as little as $2 a month, you can get episodes where you can't get anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash the Amelia Fortes. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. You are listening to Courageous Self-Love, the official podcast for the self-love revolution. And I'm your host, Amelia Fortes. And I am so happy to be here today. Today's episode is going to be self-love and parenting. I have never been a parent, but I have been a child of a parent. So I can speak to that experience. But someone who is, who is a parent, and not just a parent, but a parenting coach, I've brought my dear friend Joni Lane here as a guest. Hey, Joni. Hey, Amelia. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a yes to this conversation. I am so excited. I love the work that you're doing, talking about a lot of really important topics that I would have liked my parents to have known about. <laughs> and the really important thing that I want to hone in on, which I know you, you believe in as well, is like self-love and parenting. Like they go hand in hand. And self-love is absolutely necessary for being the best possible parent you can be. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I yeah. think that in this case, it goes beyond just getting yourself to the gym and having date nights. I think self-love, um, at least as we're talking about it today, in, in terms of parenting, for me, really speaks to the need to commit to your own evolution and development as a human, um, as apart from being a parent. And, and because I do believe that as you understand yourself and you care for yourself inside as well as outside, then it just gives you um, a lot more perspective and power over how you parent. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I feel like it's no one's fault, but I feel like a lot of times when people have children, some, like it's, it's natural for them to like, oops, I, like I forget, I'm, I'm a total human being as well. Mm -hmm. and, and that's important. And um, it's actually, I want to tag back to episode four, self-love and relationships with um, our guest Rose Vigiano. And Rose said, we were talking about relationships, romantic relationships, mm -hmm. but she said this point of, you cannot love anyone more than you love yourself. And she openly admitted a lot of people might disagree with that, especially parents saying, no way, I love my kids more than I love myself. And she's, she's a mother too. And so she was saying, but, but not really, because the capacity you are able to love yourself includes the capacity you're able to love your kids. It's not a separate thing, actually. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I agree for the most part. I think that it, it is um, a question of healthy love for mm -hmm. children or with anybody, but, uh, you know, with anybody. But I think that um, it's true. Like if you aren't really caring for yourself and loving, for your, loving yourself, then it does make parenting much more difficult because then we're responding to our children from a place of reactivity for the things that we're not giving ourselves. And that, that can be very unconscious and very yeah. hard to, to see. Um, but I think that's sort of what, it, what, what happens is you're not really loving yourself fully and doing what you can to take care of, of yourself. 
then it's just, it's just hard. It's hard to show up for anybody. And I think it's, it gets complicated with children because they are dependent on you in a way that adults that you are in relationship with aren't. So there is a constant need to be giving to them. And so I think that the balance between what we give to um, our children and what we give to ourselves can get very muddied very quickly. Um, and of course, there's the danger for parents in the pursuit of self-care to also not show up fully emotionally for their yes. children. Yes. So that's, it can work on both extremes. Absolutely. And that's the piece because I feel like in addition to the care that you have to give your children, the, the care that you're providing, they are also witnessing the care that you're providing yourself. Totally. And by witnessing that, they're learning how to care for themselves by modeling your behavior. Absolutely. Unconsciously. I love that you said it can be unconscious because like this isn't like a, a blame game where like, oh my gosh, you need to be doing this. Like that's definitely not what this is about. But it, it right. can be unconscious because I know for me, a lot of the self-work that I'm doing and I know anyone, anyone listening that does personal development and self-development, pretty much everything, 99.99% of everything can be tied back to what you learned from your parents or your primary caregivers. Yes. How you feel about money, how you feel about taking care of yourself, you know, going to the doctor, going to the dentist, mm -hmm. cleaning up after yourself, all of that stuff is modeled from what you experienced as a child. That's right. And, and not to put pressure on parents because nobody is perfect. Of course, of course. And so even in the pursuit of being, you know, a, a conscious parent, that can also very easily become one more thing that parents feel like, oh God, you know, now I have to know, you know, everything about myself in order to parent well. But I think that at the end of the day, it really isn't about being perfect. And I, that's not what you're saying. But I of think that not. that could feel sometimes like, there's just a lot of work to, to be conscious in order to be aware of these modeling concerns that parents have, but, but it's really sort of uh, killing two birds with one stone because as you develop yourself, you find your, you know, you connect with yourself on a deeper, more satisfying level and that just helps your parenting. So you're really supporting not just your kids, but you're supporting yourself and all of your other relationships and in your relationship to your work and relationship to your own parents and your siblings. So it really yeah. has um, a very large web when we absolutely. make that commitment. I love that. And thank you for bringing that into this because absolutely, this isn't about uh, now worrying about needing to be perfect and like, oh my gosh, I need to be perfect with myself so that I can be perfect <laughs> for my children. Right. But I actually like what, love what you're bringing in because I had a thought just now as you were talking was like, just putting extra care on yourself, focusing on your self-love a little bit more actually has a ripple effect, not just with your kids, mm -hmm. but with your own relationship with your parents. I love that you brought that in. And then as well as with everyone else, with your work, with your friends, family. Um, so it, it, it has benefits all the way around. It's true. And yeah. I really think that you know, when, when one has children, it can be a really powerful mirror that reflects back to yourself yeah. who you are and who you aren't and what, you know, what is, what it's, it's showing you yourself. And yeah. for people who are willing to look at that and to see that there is enormous benefit and possibility 
for deepening yourself and your relationships to everyone around you. And not everybody is interested in doing that work and won't, won't see that. But the truth is like they are mirrors and they will reflect back to you. So yeah. it's, it's a great, um, it's a great tool <laughs> being a parent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. And, and, and for those of you listening, everything that we're discussing here today is not going to be about pointing out one more thing you have to do or pointing out something that you're not doing. It's just about opening up to an opportunity that you already have, like this yes. mirror in your children and, and, and in your life and this opportunity to focus on self-love and self-care and yourself in a way that benefits your children and your parent and everyone in your life. Absolutely. So that's, I just want, I'll probably have to say that a, a few times because I also, I'm a perfectionist and I <laughs> tend to be really hard on myself. And, you know, speaking of this perfectionism, I, one of the things I really love about the work you've been doing recently is um, you've actually been speaking to parents and it's a big part of your work right now, this concept of the myth of perfection. That's right. And that's a myth all across the board, but I think it's especially beautiful to talk about the myth of perfection through the lens of parenting. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me, I know you have like a whole um, hour long talk and you could, I'm sure you could talk about it for a really long time, but give us a little sneak peek into like, what is the myth of perfection? What is that all about? And especially through the lens of parenting. Sure. Well, it is a big and juicy topic, and it certainly can it deserves a lot more time. But I think in a nutshell, um, I see it in two ways. One, there's the perfectionism as a parent, right, trying to be the perfect parent. And then there's the perfectionism of the child. So there's two roads, at least two roads you could take into it. So, and they're connected. But I think, you know, in, you know, perfectionism is really this, this idea that um, you can do things and then you can fill in the blank what, what things are, but you can do them perfectly, flawlessly. Yeah. And for perfectionists, the, you know, having this ideal outcome is vital. And if you don't achieve this perfect outcome, this achieved outcome, then you start to feel like there's something inherently flawed in you. Mm. So what, what makes perfectionism tricky, especially in young people, is that it's not always visible. Perfectionism is something that often just occurs on the inside. And so they talk about it sometimes as like the duck syndrome where you'll, you'll view oh, yes. a duck yes. gliding across the a very, very still pond or lake, but underneath, you know, their feet are paddling really crazily just yes. to get through. So that's the trick with perfectionism is that it can look a lot like, you know, high achieving or, you know, diligence or hard work. And it's really hard to separate it. But the truth is that perfectionism in children um, is often generated by, through parents, but not just through parents. It can come from social media. It could come from a, a very competitive educational and professional work environment. And in fact, child psychologists are saying perfectionism in young people starting from around age 10, although it can be even younger, is reaching such levels that they're calling it an epidemic or a public health crisis. Oh, wow. Because the rates of depression and anxiety, even suicide in extreme cases, is just um, flying off the charts. So I feel like it's really kind of a big deal. Um, and yeah. again, it's, it's coming from many different directions in our culture. But yes. I think parents can play a very important role in helping children understand that uh, you know, perfection is truly a myth that there is no such thing. 
and yeah. to help them understand that that you know what is healthy about yourself your body your your work ethic about achievement um is definitely going to include you know failure and mistakes and yes. it's not about being the best because the best doesn't really exist think about the whole health of a human the whole health of a human doesn't necessarily have to mean being better than everyone else and it just creates a lot of uh, isolation in relationships it creates a lot of self-doubt and self-negative talk and and then of course it can move into more harmful areas where people are hurting their bodies or they're not mentally um you know feeling healthy yeah so i i want to recap what you said and then i want to ask a question my biggest light bulb was the two paths that you said Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so true because I see it all the time where it's like the parent themselves is thinking I need to be this perfect parent and like mm-hmm. look, you know, especially like social media moms where it's like mm-hmm. PTA, like getting all the kids to all their rehearsals or whatever and with right. great hair, you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, so there's that piece, but then also the perfect child. I mm-hmm. relate to that as a, I hesitate to say the word victim, that's kind of a little dramatic, <laughs> but there, I, I felt as a child, there was this like expectation of me to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think children want to be perfect for their parents. And so if the parent is like living in this myth of perfection, that can exacerbate the pressure on the child. Well, I think children want to please their parents. Yes, yes. Rather than be perfect for their parents. Yes, that's a great distinction. Yes, absolutely. But if, are you saying if the the myth of perfection is like present, that can then translate into eventually like perfectionism in the child, like the duck? With the it can. I mean, can. it definitely can. I think, unfortunately, there's no like, formula that says, well, if you do this or you don't do that, it's going to result in an X kind of kid. I think right, that, you right. know, there's so many different ingredients and factors that could create a, a child who feels the need to be perfect or who suffers from perfectionism. It can come from all different areas like social Absolutely. media, the school, the work environment, peers. Yes. Yeah. But that's where the, the parent who can try to be aware of their own relationship to perfectionism Mm, yeah and you know even like the the stuff that's really hidden in there yes that we can't necessarily see so easily um I think if we make a commitment to just to try to bring awareness to ourselves on that level then I think it will help us see what might be showing up in our kids or what might be showing up in our relationship with our kids so you for example may not feel that you are a perfectionist, right? But it w- you might be surprised to see how there's actually some sort of subtle messaging that comes across that tells your kid, well, you have to sort of be super creative or, you know, have to always eat healthy food or, you know what I mean? Like it can go beyond just grades and metrics and being athletically, you know, successful. It can also show up in circles that are a little bit, less traditional too. So I think it has uh, the potential for showing up anywhere in any kind of parent or parenting style. It's definitely a juicy topic, like you said. So what are like one or two things that our listeners can 
start to do or practice or notice that can support debunking this myth of perfectionism? Well, I think the first one across the board, I think in, in most parenting tips is the self-awareness factor because as, we, as we've been talking about, the more you can shine a light on your own belief system and your own motivations and, and decision-making process, the right. more you'll be able to support your child. So I think awareness is definitely, self-awareness is definitely important. And I think another really important thing that parents can do, oh, I have three things to say. One yeah. is to really limit social media for young people. And I think that's really, I know that's a controversial issue, but I think for young kids, we're talking, you know, most 10-year-olds now are receiving an iPhone, on average, 10-year-olds. Yeah. And they often have their own Instagram accounts and are on YouTube. And I feel like that's a decision that parents can choose to to, to delay. So I think that really has a big influence on young people's sense of self when they're constantly now, you know, worried about whether people are liking their stuff or what so-and-so is doing, you know, to the right of you or to the left of you. So I think delaying social media for young people is a very important tool. Absolutely. And then I'd say the third thing is to help your kids normalize it, normalize the feelings of perfectionism Ooh. by talking about your own failures, your own mistakes, and, and just bringing it out in the open. And you can talk about your past, what you did when you were a kid, or what didn't work for you, or even just, you know, things that are going on in your life today as, a, as an adult. And it's not just your mistakes around parenting, um, but it's just like, you know, how was I not a very good friend, you know, or how about that time that I let somebody down or about that time I didn't get the job that I really, really worked hard for. And just to kind of bring it out and talk about it so that the shame of not being perfect can dissipate a little bit yeah. by bringing it into the light. I love that because it, it's kind of like giving your children a way to relate to you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's really important. I love the, I love normalizing of feelings across the board. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but definitely normalizing of feelings through the lens of parenting. It's how, it sounds like really important. Thank you for bringing that in. And also thank you for bringing in some controversial talk. I love controversial <laughs> topics about social media. And I, I'm glad you brought this up because I'm part of that generation that it's called several names. We're basically wow. straddling two generations because right. we were social media flourished when we were old enough to like still be into it and, mm -hmm. and, and adopt it. But we weren't so young that our, our brains were so easily molded by the influence right. of it. And I'm thinking, man, if I, like when I was 10 years old and doing theater camp or dance recitals and like mm -hmm. I was worrying about likes and comments, yeah. and like I, I don't know what I would have, like I don't know how I would have turned out. And I love that you said it. Parents have the right to make that decision for themselves and for their kids. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's an invitation, right? To consider delaying it. Absolutely. And, it, you know, everybody, every family has their own particulars. Um, and I, there's no way that, you know, there's a one size fits all formula for, for families. Absolutely. But I would, I would definitely agree that it's, it's an invitation to reflect on it and to look at the uh, evidence that's starting to come out about the correlation of yeah. social media use and uh, rates of anxiety and depression in young people. And the, the science is showing us that there is a correlation. So it's, it's worth exploring. Exactly. And I so love uh, 
just the compassion that you have, you know, it's like you're, you're a parenting coach. And so this is something that you teach and something that you do and that you love. And I really truly feel the nurturing of, of saying, but you know, best, like, I'm not here to say parents, these are the 10 tips. And if you don't follow them, you suck. Like with (laughs) not nothing, not nothing out there technically says that, but a lot of blogs can feel like that sometimes. And it perpetuates the myth of perfectionism. So I love how you're bringing this like kind of controversial invitation, quote unquote, if you will. But you're also saying, look, I invite you to look at these sources Mm -hmm. and then make your own. I I just, I love that because it's definitely not a one size fits all because I know that living in in Southern California, I I know a lot of like famous kids and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're 10 years old and they're dancers and they're like, you know, in commercials and movies and stuff. But I go to their pages and it says, you know, this page is managed by, I'm just making this up, Madison's mommy, you know? And so it's like, it's not saying your children can't have social media depending on what it's needed for them and for their lifestyle. To me, that's an example of a parent making a decision about their child's involvement with social media. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. It's not a one size fits all. No. And there's also ways to like anything, right? There's a balance, right? There, you just have to find that balance in that place where it's, um, there, there's many different sources and experiences that your children are, are having. And, you know, trying to eliminate uh, media from a, a child's life is not the right answer, because we live in a media world now. And I right. think the, the question is, you know, how do we as a parent, as a grown up and the, you know, how's the grown up going to help our kids navigate a very complex new way of being in the world that we ourselves aren't even really fully figured out yet. Joni and I have it all figured out. I don't know about <laughs> you listening. I'm just joking. <laughs> I mean, I think most parents that I know are very much addicted to their phone. Um, oh, yeah. and trying to limit it with their children. And I feel like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I probably am very similar in that way where I'm always looking at my phone um, and then preaching about how you shouldn't look at your phone. So there's a lot of irony there, but Right. But that's what self-awareness is. Exactly. I just love the the compassion and the openness that you have. You know, like you're sharing these really important tips, but at the same time you're saying, look, look at these, make your own decision. Because I feel like when I think about like, especially in comedy, when we talk about parenting, especially when those like the red dots came out on the maps for like when there's a a sex offender and Mm -hmm. like, you know, that's this like chicken little concept of like, you know, a new article comes out or a a news report comes out on the TV and then parents are like, oh my gosh, like delete all social media, social media is fat. Like, and it's like the sky is falling, but that's not what yeah. you're saying. You're saying, no, let's navigate with the times. Let's yeah. look at all the information and let's yeah. make a decision for our family. What makes exactly. sense for us. And I, I think that is so important because the sky is falling, chicken little running around is, it's not helpful. Also, and the kids are watching, right? If it's like that, that'll, in my, I think that could even increase anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I need to. For sure. And that's the, back think, to the myth of perfectionism, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, essentially what I do in my work is I help people. I don't decide for parents what is right and what is wrong or what they should do. I think that a lot of parent coaches 
in some ways do that. They say, you, you know, here are the 10 tips for a better relationship. And mm. a lot of those tips are actually really great. But I think like anything, when we need to learn something, it has to come from within. And Absolutely. so what I try to do in my work with parents is to help them find their own answers for what works for them. And then, of course, sometimes that means stretching and growing into a new belief, new thought, right. um, or a new strategy, or just sort of doubling down on the strategy that they are committed to that isn't necessarily a popular one with their family or within their community. It's, it's really about sort of trusting and developing your own intuition about what's right. Um, and that can just look like something different for everybody. It's coming from this thought of, you're already a great parent. You're already amazing. And let's, if there's anything that's muddy or murky, let's just clear it up. Let's just sharpen the toolkit that you already have, that you already come with. I think in the coaching world in general, not just with parenting coaching, I think that is a better way to go of treating people like they're already great and awesome and amazing. Yeah. And they just need a sacred witness to, to help them clarify some things and to sharpen up some tools that they already have. That's and right. I've been part of, I've been with coaches that are like that. And I've also been with other kind of coaches where it's like, nope, this is the way you have to do it because this is the way that I did it and the way that I got to success. And so if you don't do it this way, then, then that's why you fail. That's right. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit sure. and tagging back to something you said earlier about, um, we were talking about the myth of perfectionism and talking about like the health of a human being is not about having perfect grades, perfect this, perfect that. But you also mentioned about being better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I know another topic that, well, you and I both love to talk about, but I know you've <laughs> been talking about it lately, is this concept of healing the collective sister wound. And I know yeah, some people might not know what that means, what is okay. the sister wound? I think in short form, it's just early, meaning early life, early emotional wounds that either come from experience with other girls and women or things that you've been told that sets you apart from connecting in a healthy way to other girls and women. And I think our society reinforces that uh, in many ways, through the, the way that women and girl relationships are perceived through popular culture. Yes. And absolutely. so I think what happens as a result is that young girls um, and, and young boys too um, yes. grow up with this perception that girls are like this and you fill in the blank, usually something like catty or you know, competitive. competitive or they're not to be trusted. And I think that these beliefs are very old and very deep and probably very much, you know, in sync with sort of a patriarchal worldview. Absolutely. Because when girls and women are actually peaceful with each other and trusting of each other and they're very powerful. We're literally touching on, like you said, deep beliefs mm -hmm. that, that run deep in our culture. And so yes right. to everything that you said. And I wrote down the word frenemies because that's kind of like this, this word that I don't know when it came out, but it's like friend enemies right. and it, it, it's become normalized where it's like, yeah, she's my frenemy. And looking at it now from an adult perspective, I'm just kind of like, what's the point of that? But I think that's a, a, a result, one of the results of this mm -hmm. culture that we have that pits 
uh, women and girls and people in general, like you said, mm-hmm. against each other. And That's right. One example that popped up about how our culture does that is in media, especially with famous women. Mm-hmm. Like you can look all across media, like People Magazine or Cosmopolitan or whatever, TV shows, blogs, YouTube, and people will always quickly compare the two women who are similar, but they will right. never compare two men or two boys. That's right. It's like, you know, Nicki Minaj and Cardi B, they're both um, female rappers, boom, compared. But That's like, right. how many comparison articles are there about two male rappers or male comedians? Right. Um, you know, people compare Amy Schumer and Tina Fey, for example. Mm-hmm. Or I I know for me growing up, it was Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Oh, yeah. And looking back, they're so different. So different. Those two artists are so different. But because they were around the same age, because they came out around the same time, like people find these similarities and tag it back. But you know who else was also in the Mickey Mouse Club with them? Justin Timberlake and Ryan Gosling. They both sing. They both dance. They are both actors. I have never seen a comparison article of Justin Timberlake and Ryan Gosling. That's exactly right. And I think that's a perfect example of how on a big platform, we are constantly reinforcing the idea that that women have to compete with each other Mm -hmm. and men don't. Not in that way. Mm Mm-hmm it's our job as individuals to just become aware of that and to not Mm -hmm. perpetuate that. So taking that back down now from like this definition of the sister wound, I I love that you've started to bring it into your parenting coaching and talking about it through the lens of parenting. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I have an 11 year old daughter, so Mm -hmm. she's in fifth grade. And so I am in front row (laughs) to, yeah, the way the you know the quote unquote dramas uh, I don't even like that word but the, right. that go on in the classroom and yeah. I'm in um, you know in dialogue with my daughter and and some of her friends that she's very close with about this and it's interesting to me but I see how it plays out where there's like lots of alliances and friendships that are close one minute you know literally one from minute to minute literally minute to minute yeah. and they're always sort of like in this ocean of undulating waves of, of relating to each other. And, and as I zoom out from that, I think that these girls are just trying to figure out how to connect to each other, yes. but that what the, the script that they have in front of them for millennial playing out with connecting by excluding people or connecting by, you know, being the person who's in charge emotionally of a particular group or feeling, um, you know, feeling all that you feel when you're not included, but then suddenly you're included and somebody else is out, the power rush. And it's like this emotional kind of like hit that kids are kind of moving in and out of. And I thought, well, wouldn't it just be better to teach young girls that to how to connect in a healthier way? Yes. Instead of just reinforcing, you know, all these other myths about what girls are. And for sure, it's getting better. I mean, there's a lot of different models now than certainly when I was younger. And I think that we're talking about it more, but there's more work to to do. Yeah, Yeah, there just is. And the, the, the thing that really kind of bugs me, which is a little bit of a pet peeve, is the whole girl power. Mm. um, And even the statement, and I'm going to probably put my boys out on the uh, (laughs) on a limb here, but like the future is female. 
Yes. I, on one hand, I love because I get it. I get what the message is, but I also have a son. And I feel, well, the future doesn't have to be male or female. Mm -hmm. It can just be a different future. And so I feel like the girl power messaging is beautiful, but I don't necessarily think that it's about being better than boys or stronger than boys. Yes. It's just celebrating, in my opinion, celebrating what is unique to girls in a general sense and, and allowing that power of what it means to be feminine Mm -hmm. to to have more presence in our, in our lives. It doesn't have to beat boys. It doesn't have to be better than absolutely its own thing. Sister wound at face value is like, Oh, that's about girls. That's about women, whatever. Or and a lot of times people think of the word patriarchy and they think, Oh, that's about girls. Like, you know, when people say slay the patriarchy or whatever, it's about mm-hmm. women trying to beat men now. But, but right here, right now, Joni, we are debunking that. It we is are. not about that. It's a, like si- the sister wound hurts everyone. It does. The patriarchy hurts everyone. And maybe Absolutely. we need a different word because patriarchy st- has started to sound like, you know, men over women or like r- women rise up over men, but it's, it's hurting everyone. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, that's, that's number one. And it's really about inclusion. And I love that you brought up the girl power. The future is female. Literally the other day I saw a meme that said the future is female, but then it crossed out female and said like non-gender conforming specific includes everyone. (laughs) Like the future is everyone is essentially what that, that um, meme was saying. So it's so synchronistic that you brought that up. The other piece that is really important that we can dive a little bit deeper into, gave me chills, was we're zooming out and we're noticing not just girls, but women having these like kind of hit misses, hit and misses of like, they're, they're great together, but then there's now there's some like tension or like now one person's in the power seat and the rest of them are following and then one person's left out. But then, oh no, now that person that was left out is now back in and now someone else is left out. And there's like... Mm-hmm. There's like all of this stuff going on and not just for 10 year old girls, but I, I can relate to that now as a, oh, yeah. as a 30 something woman. And I see it across the board in all ages of women. And this is what, this is the sister wound. But what you said was, I think what's really happening. And I agree with you is we're all just fi- trying to figure out how to connect, Yeah, but we don't have the tools or it's not modeled for us on like a larger scale back to the whole, you know, comparison articles and mm-hmm. all the ways that we were taught otherwise. But that's the juice right there. We're yeah. actually just trying to like, despite all the cattiness and all the, you know, girl fights and the gossiping and all of that stuff, power play dynamics. Mm-hmm. We just want to connect. Yeah. We really do. We just want to connect. And it tags back to um, episode five, actually, which is about self-love and friendship, where uh, Grace and I talk about how women connection is the medicine. Mm-hmm. It is the untapped resource. It is one of our most untapped resources. And not just, a, to your point, Joni, not just about girl power, not just about the future is female, but because literally women loving each other is the medicine for all of us. Right. Everyone. Absolutely. And I think our, and our society has, in all sorts of ways, through time, 
and for all kinds of reasons, have chipped away at, at that connection. Yes. And so I think there is a resurgence now. Yes. Uh, where, you know, you're seeing it with all, you know, different empowerment circles and women's circles, which I think is amazing. And, yes. and actually, I, I worked with a, a friend of mine, we're giving girl circles mm. uh, in the fall, we had a girl circle where we were teaching this kind of connection that we that we get from our women's circles to, to girls and helping them see the power of being in a circle together or being, you know, friendly with each other. You don't, you don't have to like every girl just because she's a girl, but just learning how to be with yourself and feeling confident in yourself and to, and to find what true friendship means and what it looks like yeah. and, and to trust each other. I'm so glad you brought that up again, because I remember when you told me about doing that, I literally cried. I just, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I had the privilege of having girl circles because I was in dance and I mm -hmm. literally remember sitting in a circle right before dance class in our leotards and we were just like complimenting each other. Right. Um, and, and it's like people underestimate how healing that is. Right. Like, in, but like a true connection. Cause I think too, sometimes it can get watered down where everyone's just like, yeah, it's queen. Like, it's just like, yeah, yes, queen all over the place. But then like, there's gossiping and cutting each other down behind the scenes. That's right. There's a difference between that and just like commenting and liking pages versus like true connection right. of, of um, being able to, and, and when I say true connection, I don't mean it has to be in person. It can be, true connection can be virtual as well, but it starts with healing that depth, just like we did with the myth of perfection. You know, what are one, two, three, you know, a few things that, you in, you can invite us to do to start to start to heal this wound. Uh, well, again, it's like it, the wound. I mean, the healing has to start with the grown up. Always, it's always about the grown up first in that sense. Yeah. So, if you're a parent, or if you're interested in becoming a parent at some point, I think just to focus on trying to unpack and unlearn some of the stories about what other women and how uh, you know stories about other women and what we have to be like in those friendships. And it's not about liking everybody because, you know, we're all human and we don't have to have the right chemistry with everybody. Yeah. But I think it's about being aware of your judgments and the way that you feel when you're around other women. Mm -hmm. And, um, and just to kind of notice the, the ways that we might um, subtly take someone down, even in our mind when yeah. we're feeling insecure or we you know or jealous and I think it's just about sort of bringing again some awareness to that and yeah. if you are a parent of a daughter I think that in addition to doing that work and helping your your daughter and your son you know to, mm -hmm. to be more mindful of the way that they talk about girls in terms of friendship or community um, I think just to be aware of how you speak in front of your own kid about yeah. other women or other family members because like you said, they are, they are really absorbing and they learn for, far more from what you do than what you say. So Absolutely. if you are chatting with, you know, you have a friend over and you're having a glass of wine together and you're kind of taking out, taking down another woman and your kids are around kind of picking up on that, well, that is, that is a very powerful message. So yes. I think bringing that awareness there and to find new ways of being compassionate to other girls, even if they're, you know, they're having a problem with another girl. I think we can always speak compassionately about other people, even while you're defending and supporting your own child. I love that you said 
healing this sister wound is not necessarily about everyone liking everyone. Right. And I, I wanted to say about that in my own experience, just being, because it's about boundaries, right? Just being mm-hmm. able to be aware that I don't have to like everyone mm-hmm. also healed the sister right. wound for me. And it doesn't mean like just because I don't like someone, I have to be mean to them or I have to cut them out or exclude them, but that right. it's just okay. It's okay if, if we don't vibe. It's yeah, totally absolutely. okay. And I can still love and honor her as a woman, as a girl, but we don't have to be best friends. And so no, and you don't even have to love and honor her. Oh, that too. Well, that too, that too. Because that there too. are, you know, pe- there, there, you know, women can be, can be many things, right? They're not just sugar not and spice. <laughs> yeah, there are some really unlikable people in the world. And I think it's also okay to honor, like really not liking somebody. Yes. And not honoring who they are. I mean, I know, again, that's yeah. treading on thin ice, but I think that that's sort of real. Yeah. I think it's real. But that doesn't mean just because we don't love and honor somebody or respect them that we, we don't have to tear them down or we don't have to tear them down. We don't have to do that. Yeah. No, I love that. And I love, you know, I love treading on thin ice. And I think <laughs> it's, I know what you mean. And I know it's important though, because it's not just about cutting people down in competition. There's another face of it. The other face of it is, oh my gosh, I have to be nice and love every girl. Right. And that's actually detrimental too, because I can't tell you how many times I've been quote unquote best friends with someone who actually wasn't very good for me Um, and probably vice versa, you know, but then we perpetuate the best friendship thing because it's like, yay, we're BFFs, but it's like, actually, maybe we're not. And that's okay too. And so I think it, I love that you brought that up because it, it brings awareness to the other side of it the sister wound doesn't just look like women cutting each other down. It also looks like staying in relationships that don't work. Absolutely. I mean, if you pull young girls, I don't remember what the age range is, probably 10 to 12 or 13 or something, their definition of what a best friend is, is sort of hilarious. I mean, their, their sort of definition is, you know, they have to spend all your time together (laughs) <laughs> in all of your time all the time <laughs> you have to have everything in common yeah just that definition alone of spending all your time with one and with someone and having everything in common is a little bit of a setup for girls yeah around friendship because that's not how I have friendships with women I don't no. spend all my time and have everything in common with some of my closest friends right it's, you know, and I think that we can start to help girls realize like that's not necessarily the definition. definition. I also liked the the normalizing. I don't know if you said that specifically, but back to the normalizing of feelings yeah. like insecurity and jealousy. Yeah. Like normalizing that is so healthy. And yes. It's so healing. And yes. Learning that it's not about needing to like take that person down. It's just Sometimes it just points you closer to what you really want. Normalizing feelings is always, is always a good thing to do. Um, yes, and to also really help not just kids, but to remind ourselves that feelings are not permanent. So we might feel yeah. very hurt or very jealous or angry one moment, but they can pass through and they do. They're like storms that sort of pass through. Yes. And, and the more we can kind of step back and, and recognize that, I might be in a fit of anger or jealousy right now or hurt over some slight or perceived slight with another friend, but it's also something that I know will pass. I really love the second tip too about being mindful, how you speak and, and, and what you say about other women or other people. It really sends 
a powerful message to them. And then be aware of how even subtly in your mind, how you think about other people and how you might take people down because we are watching. Like I, one of the Mm -hmm. things that I remember is my mom was always reinforcing the message of, oh, they're probably jealous. That's why they're being this way. And like reinforcing this message of um, detaching and disconnecting and pulling away Yeah, based on an assumption really. Right. And so what I'm learning to kind of, what I'm doing to unlearn that is when I have a little bit of a tiff, especially with a woman, I lean in and I, mm-hmm. I, I lean in, it's uncomfortable, but I lean in and like mm-hmm. I'll point it out. I'll say, um, Hey, you know, let's say I'm talking to a friend. It's like, you said something a certain way and it made me feel like this. And I wanted to know, like, are we okay? Are we cool? A few weeks ago, I posted something controversial as I do on Facebook. And one of my friends, I don't think she liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we kind of started to go back and forth in the comments. And I, I just was like, no, let me. So I called her and I just said, look, I, what I, if we need to clean something up, I, I would let, let, let's do that. If I did something that I need to apologize for, like, mm-hmm. I would like to know how you're feeling you know, and even just that act alone deepened our relationship Absolutely. where that easily could have been a reason where we blocked each other and just didn't talk and just was like, we're right. done. This is over. Right. So and then held all those feelings and then maybe like, you know, started to tear her apart in your mind or even right. elsewhere with other mutual friends or with right. just, you know, it would be, that would be the more comfortable route in some ways to take. Yeah. And that could but, spill over in other relationships and spill over into my belief that women friendships don't work, my unconscious beliefs about what the sister wound. Right. But the leaning in is really what's been helpful and being honest. I'm thinking about another time that I was actually being catty and mm-hmm. my, and I, you know, I can admit that as hard as it is sometimes. And my friend was like, are you being bitchy on purpose? Or like, cause I feel, <laughs> I'm feel she was like, I'm feeling some kind of way about how you're talking to me. And mm-hmm. I literally was just like, actually I am being bitchy because I'm mad and this is why I'm mad. And like, it was very, a very uncomfortable conversation, but our relationship deepened as a result. Well, good for both of you. Good for her for calling you out. I'm sure that was hard and good for you for for seeing or hearing that and being able to say, yeah, this is actually how I'm feeling. And then to, you know, to keep working at it is sort of like the best that we can do, right? Because we're, right, we're, we're not, not robots. Yeah, we have feelings and we're not always going to be like fully aware of our feelings and able to manage them every moment because that wouldn't be human. So Absolutely. it's so great that, you know, that you can always be in process with it. It's always something to be working on. And Absolutely. there's no arrival point where everything is suddenly hyper awareness and you have everyone has all <laughs> and the now answers. We're perfect that's, and we're, yeah. that's that's a, that's enough too that myth yeah. of arrival um mm. but it's all a process yeah full circle i think that's Joni, to your point your your tip about for me or for any parent or any person yeah starting with your own relationships and finding ways and developing new tools on how to communicate and connect with each other and lean into each other instead of cutting it off Because for me, as I'm learning this myself, I know I don't have any kids yet, but I can teach my nieces these things. And I'm able, the way that I'm talking about it, 
I'm able to then pass it along, which is to your tip about noticing how, be aware of how you're speaking about other people and then taking that a step further, you can now like teach them. Like for you, you're going to teach your daughter these tips. Like when, when she's in tips with her girlfriends, mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and I know that you do that. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the key here of like being aware of yourself, healing your own stuff. And so that way you can also model and teach it. That's right. Children. If you are struggling or don't have awareness of your own sister wounds as a yeah. mother or as an auntie, you know, yeah. you are in a much, you're much more likely to respond to other girls and women who are in a particular, you know, row with a friend or, or somebody, a colleague mm -hmm. from that reactive, you know, that reactive place of, of wounding. Yes, absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's not going to, that's just going to perpetuate it. And that's what we pass on to our nieces and our daughters and, and also to boys who the are boys learning Absolutely. about women's friendship and how to be in relationship with other women. Absolutely. Um, as they grow up into being men. And Absolutely. it's really important that we break that cycle on all fronts. Yeah. So those of you listening, you have a lot to chew on. Joni, how can our listeners hear more about what you're teaching and what you're doing? The best way to be in touch with me right now is through my Instagram account and also just getting on my mailing list so you can receive a monthly newsletter on a variety of different parenting topics and also just keep in touch with talks or workshops or podcasts or whatever I'm up to. My Instagram account is um, Insight Parent and my website is insightparent.com. To those of you listening, as you know, I'll always include these in the show notes, the links to it, so that you can easily find everything there. And if you want to reach out to me also more directly or privately, you mm -hmm. can always email me, insightparentcoaching at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Joni. This was thank so you. juicy and delicious. To those of you listening, thank you so much for being here. This has been Courageous Self-Love, Self-Love and Parenting. I'm your host, Amelia Fortes, and we are out for now. Hey, if you're loving the show, make sure you become a patron. For as little as $2 a month, you can get episodes where you can't get anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash theameliafortes. I'm doing man.